Welcome back to Bootability. We're off for the holidays this week, but bring you one of our most popular episodes from last year about navigating family relationships, as this time of year might bring up questions about how to apply Buddhism to our closest relationships. We'll be back in the new year with a new episode, and in the meantime, a happy and healthy holiday season to all. Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're talking about family and what to do if you just can't reconcile differences with them. Our guests are sisters Lauren and Molly Lebov from Michigan, whose intertwined stories of beginning their Buddhist practice and transforming their relationship with their parents are rich with lessons on what Buddhability looks like in a family setting. In short, the journey began when Lauren, who came out to her family in college and didn't find the acceptance she was looking for, went down a difficult mental health journey that led to her dropping out of college and moving back home. Meanwhile, her older sister Molly, who had been introduced to chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, the core practice of Estriya Buddhism, was tasked with bringing Lauren home. But Molly herself had been running from home for a long time. I'll let them tell the story from here because so much changed. But first, I want to share a quote that Molly shared with me that really encapsulates the heart of their experience about transforming their family dynamics. It's from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda and reads, The only way to heal rifts and human relationships is through our Buddhist practice. That is, through expanding our life condition, changing inside, and carrying out our human revolution based on faith. Our partners, parents, siblings, and children are all part of the environment we find ourselves in. We are bound to them through karmic ties. We cannot escape from our reality. What are we to do then? Instead of blaming our relationships on others, we can decide to change ourselves. Here's Molly and Lauren. I'm Molly Lebov. I live in Detroit, Michigan. And right now for work, I'm working um, at a Media for Liberation nonprofit. And I identify as an artist. I love communicating with people, dialoguing, and I am also an avid gardener. Um, hi, so I'm Lauren Lebov. I live in Royal Oak, Michigan. And for work right now, um, I'm working in digital marketing and I'm also a self-identifying artist. I'm a soon-to-be wife to my beautiful fiance, and I'm a dog mom. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Thank you both. Um, So let's start with Molly. Just from the beginning, how did you get introduced to SGI Nutrient Buddhism, and why did you start chanting? Oh, boy. Okay, so I was introduced to Buddhism by one of my favorite people in the world, and At the time, I think I had just graduated college, and so I think this was in 2011, and I was just so lost and so confused, Um, and she just mentioned it like it was no thing, like, why don't you try chanting? And I was really like, I don't even understand, I don't even understand what that means. (laughs) What do you mean? And so this was like a, this was years and years of like her encouraging me to chant and me being like, I'm not about to do that. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. And, um, throughout my life, I had like always been really deeply seeking something. I just didn't know what, and I didn't have, I I just couldn't put my finger on what was like really missing from my life. And so I ended up doing you name it, at reading every self-help book, every going to meditation retreats. I ended up actually working at a retreat center that had every like big name of a spiritual guru you can imagine. And throughout that journey, I became like very interested in why was were these environments so predominantly white and privileged and affluent? And why was, how, what was like lacking from this accessibility and the universality of 
what the spaces I was engaging with. And so eventually along the way and like the growth of my relationship with like wanting to see a just world, I ended up like realizing the SGI and Nietzsche and Buddhism as taught and studied through the SGI really was, it, enc- it encompassed everything I was looking for. It's, it's a philosophy that truly touches all the bases about how to make myself happy, but also how to transform society. And so going to the SGI Center for the first time in Detroit just really changed my life because I had never seen such unified diversity. And that alone was just like, okay, I'm gonna really give this thing a shot because it seems to be touching people's lives in a way that nothing else I had ever seen was. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you for for sharing. And I completely relate. I grew up in a predominantly white town and uh, SGI was like the only diverse space in my life for a very long time. So I, I completely understand that. Um, and uh, Lauren, I, we're going to get into some of your story in a bit, I know. But um, if I can also ask you just briefly, first, what was your reaction when you heard Molly started chanting? And then how long did it take you to also start your own practice? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So I think when I first heard Molly chanting, I was like, okay, this makes sense for her because she's a really groovy gal. And as um, I was also living a very extreme lifestyle at the time, I was partying, um, abusing substances, and I felt like that was normal in comparison to chanting twice a day. That felt bizarre to me. Um, So as time went on, I kind of um, just tried it. And I actually would do it like away from her. I didn't really want her to know that I was trying it because I was so stubborn. (laughs) Um, And then every time I chanted, I did feel better. And it was almost one of those moments of like, dang, it really works. So that was um, just my first interactions with chanting was just trying it. And um, yeah, I think we'll get more into how that developed into my full-blown practice. But at first I was hesitant and um, as time went on, it just became more undeniable. Mm, I I see. Yeah. So actually this is great, kind of a great, um, how do you say, context for my next question because I want to sort of set the scene a little and you already like kind of seem to have come to (laughs) Buddhism from two very different paths but two very extreme paths like Molly's like on this spiritual journey and you're partying so why don't we now go back in time (laughs) we'll go back in time a little bit to your childhood because um I remember when we spoke on the phone you both said that we're we're really different so uh, I want to understand kind of how. So can you first tell me a little bit, um, um, maybe we'll go back to you on this one first, Molly, like what's the age difference? And tell me a little bit of what your experience of childhood was like in terms of your relationship to each other. Sure. Yeah. Lauren and I are seven years apart, which is growing increasingly less apparent. But of course, when I'm 18 going to college and Lauren is 11, it's like... <laughs> different worlds. So Lauren and I grew up in the same home, but really did, you know, didn't have that type of relationship um, where we were connected. And yeah, just to share a little bit, we grew up in what would be like a typical suburban environment, predominantly white, affluent, um, very much like keeping up with the Joneses vibes. And a deep obsession with perception from the outside peering in that I think shaped a lot of our family dynamics and shaped a lot of the way I began to move through the world, like seeking approval from outside of myself. Um, And a lot of the things I really struggled with in my life, um, like disordered eating and loneliness and a lack of community. And so Lauren and I had a deep mystical bond that occurred later in life, which was that I was working at the University of Vermont Um, And Lauren actually started to go to undergrad there. So, you know, fast forward to so many years later, we were living in a town away from home together as um, 
like semi-adults. <laughs> like, we were, I don't know how to describe what we were, but yeah, we were able to really be like, who are you? In a, in a different place other than that home and that environment. Mm. What a unique experience. That's uh, Was it an accident that you ended up at the same place or was it at all intentional? Maybe Lauren, we'll start with that and then, and then you can share kind of your version of growing up as the much younger sister. Yeah, um, I would say it's it was a mystic coincidence that we ended up there together. Um, but yeah, as far as our childhood, I was so obsessed with Molly. I thought she was so cool. <laughs> And I always joke that I was like her number one fan. Like I was, I led the fan club and it was a member of me. Um, And (laughs) I think it was a secret ego boost to her in a way. Um, But we definitely, (laughs) yeah. And we definitely were different. You know, Molly um, is so outgoing, so bubbly, um, very extroverted and just known for her smile and I was always more reserved and very, very sensitive. Um, and I think like most siblings, we were definitely compared to each other. And so I think being the younger sister, I was kind of always struggling to find my own identity. And I think I'm still working on finding my own identity. Um, but I just always looked up to her and she's still such an amazing role model. Oh my gosh, so sweet. Um, I love this. <laughs> I have to ask though, um, you know, Molly, going kind of back to your description of the sort of environment that you grew up in, was your um, kind of path to to look at all of these different spiritual practices already a departure from your family? Or was that like, were there other people around you who were also doing that? Oh, I think my parents would probably unanimously say, where did this person come from? Like, I do not (laughs) understand who our daughter is and how she got this way. Like, no one in my environment was spiritually seeking. We were raised Jewish um, and it was very like familial and cultural, but it wasn't like this is, you know, we weren't engaged in deep ritual or tradition. It was meaningful to us, but it wasn't like a mainstay of our lives. So I just was like, there's got to be something deeper about this life. Mm. Like, what's going on here? I want to know. I see. Okay, understood. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this in their own way. So um, you both shared a little bit about kind of how you were introduced to chanting and how you felt initially. But I understand that like, in a way, both of your more serious practice of Buddhism started at a time when, Lauren, you were going through some kind of tough mental health issues. And I think, Molly, you had shared that this was actually the same time that you were in Vermont together. So um, can you sort of share that story? Actually, Lauren, can we can we start with you on this one? What was going on at the time? And then, you know, how did you end up really deciding to start practicing Buddhism? Mm. Yeah, so I was really suffering and I just didn't, I did not feel worthy of living and I was really struggling with depression and the shame that was accompanied by that really um, left me feeling stuck. I didn't know how to dig myself out of this hole that I was in and I was feeling really lonely, but I was also always around people and really just seeking outside of myself to feel, to kind of escape. And um, this led to me actually failing out of school. I wasn't able to complete um, my program. And then um, Molly actually ended up moving in with me into my apartment in Vermont. Mm-hmm. and. That was for a little while until um, she actually helped me pack up all of my things and move home to Michigan. Um, And throughout that entire process, I think Molly's just ability to wholeheartedly support me um, and have so much compassion during the most difficult time of my life really was what showed me the power of this practice. I think I was 
not able to see my own potential and she really still could even when I was suffering and I was actually really actively pushing her away and kind of saying like just let me suffer you know this is this is what my life is supposed to be and she really just didn't give up on me and so I think Molly's um yeah ability to just have so much compassion for me and that that her never give up spirit really um, just inspired me. And so I think that was my driving force to really want to put effort into my life instead of just um, be a shell of myself. Mm. Wow, thank you for, for sharing. And Molly, I can only imagine what that experience was like for you kind of observing what Lauren was going through and then having to sort of be the older sister. Um, yeah, what was it? What was going through your head? And you were just kind of beginning your own practice at the time too, right? So how did you sort of decide to tackle all of that? Well, Lauren kind of missed like an important part, which was that we weren't supposed to be living together. I <laughs> was ta- I was taking over her apartment that she was supposed to be moving out of, but she was so hmm. suffering that she couldn't get it together to exit. And it was like we were cohabitating in this very small environment. And she would was going out and partying and staying up so late. And it was just it was just so heartbreaking because anyone listening can just hear like Lauren is the sweetest, most capable, brilliant person and beautiful inside and out. And just to see this potential being withered away and wasted and like her inability to see the truth about her life was just so painful and yeah I definitely started chanting but I wasn't like studying this Buddhism and really understanding like wow at the depth of this Buddhism is this ability to pull out our the dignity of our lives and like fight to believe that we are valuable fight to see the truth that we're these like each of us are these precious unique beings that have a mission we wouldn't be here if we didn't so you know I was chanting but I wasn't really like guided in any type of way like I hadn't started engaging with the community yet so I was like you know we would get in these fights where Lauren like okay Buddha like you know (laughs) and I didn't know how to explain what I was doing or why it was transformative I just was like you know dipping my toe in so it was a really confusing and painful time, but it definitely was like the impetus for, um, you know, both of our lives transforming. Mm. Yeah, it's also rare to have such an intense kind of shared experience, you know, as as young adults. I'm imagining you hadn't probably even lived together as as adults in a long time, right? Because um, you must have left home by, I mean, she was still so young when you left, right, Molly? So, mm-hmm. um yeah. So so then when like what happened when you when you moved back home? How did I mean, you both sort of jumped into the practice. I think you said you also jumped into the community uh, when we were speaking on the phone. So, uh, yeah, tell me that story. Maybe you can keep going, Molly. Like what what happened? You know, when you guys got back? So my parents were like, we got to get our girl home. And I was like, OK, so we packed up the car. And at, at the time I was working remotely, so I was kind of like, and I was really running from home. Like I was like, I don't like Michigan. There's really no reason for me to go there. It just had all my demons really lived like in my family's home and at in in the suburbs of that that place. You know, I had spent a decade running from my life. And so the second day we get there, I blow out my back and I'm just like totally stuck. Like, I can't even drive back. I'm just here. And my dear, dear friend, she practices in Detroit. And she was who was like, can you come to a Buddhist meeting tonight? And so I just like wobbled my way to a Buddhist meeting. And that was like my first, you know, real Buddhist meeting. And um, I was just so moved. I was just so moved by the people and by what we were. I don't even remember what we were studying. I just remember how sincerely everyone approached me after the meeting, like really sincerely wanting to know who I was and welcoming me and answering questions and asking questions. So yeah, I definitely felt like this is really special. And 
that was the first time I had ever like had a shift towards like there might be something more to Michigan than um than than what I knew growing up. Mm. Wow, that must have been a powerful experience. Um and so did you sort of uh decide to like consistently chant and start studying at that time? Was it like you know, you never looked back or did it still take time for you to really get into the practice? Um, so basically what ended up happening was at this district meeting, a bunch of the district members were going to the Florida Nature Culture Center, which is where we have our Buddhist conferences. And they were like, can you come? And I was like, you're leaving this weekend. But apart, when I got home from that meeting that night, I just was like, you know what? I got some miles. I'm going to see if there's an open ticket. And the next day, I got a call from the culture center and they were like, there's one person, one person dropped out. Do you want to come? And I was like, everything in my body was just like, just go. And that was like, for me, the end of like my doubt. Like once I arrived at the Florida Nature Culture Center, I was like, I'm a Buddhist. (laughs) Like everything just came into total clarity for me. Um, seeing the community, seeing people, someone flew in from China, people were there from Puerto Rico, from Hawaii, like, I was just beside myself at what I was like, this is the global community, like, this is so Mm. unbelievable, like, I just was, my jaw was dropped the whole time. And that was when I really encountered my, my mentor, Daisaku Ikeda. And I was just, I let, I let, his words into my life. And I was like, this is it. So that was really like when my life just was like, and now I go. And at that time that that conference was called changing karma into mission. And somebody was like, I think you need to move home to Michigan. Like you got to stop running from your karma. And like, as soon as I started chanting, like, am I supposed to move to Michigan again? Like within a week, I had a job in Michigan and a, an apartment to live in. And I was like, I'm moving home. And so I moved back to Michigan like quite shortly after I left that conference. Oh my goodness. I'm imagining like juxtaposed with all of the kind of retreat and spiritual experiences you'd already had up to that moment, how different it must have felt at FNCC. Um, Yeah, that's incredible. Can I just, can I just ask you to explain um, very briefly, karma and submission you said was the theme of the conference. And actually I do, I think it's in a sense a theme of, this episode, which we'll see as we hear the whole story. But what do you mean by karma? And what do you mean by mission for someone who's like, what is she talking about? Yeah, I mean, the way I'll most like, like digestibly explain it, which karma is, of course, like going to be a lifelong, long study for me and everyone I think that engages with it. But it's a result of everything that's ever happened in the past. Um, It's karma is just action. So it's a collection of all of our causes, causes we can't even fathom since time without beginning, you know, Buddhism really, we understand that we are eternal. And like, when I really started comprehending, like, whoa, I was born in this particular environment with these particular people, with this particular, you know, it's very unique. No two people share the same karma, even Lauren and I who live, you know, same parent, like, We have about as close of karma as you could have, but we're just completely different people. But so our karma is our mission. Like what is ours to do in this lifetime? Mm. What is our mission? What is for me to do? Like, who am I to impact? Who am I to connect with? Like those unique things that make me, me, and that that's, and everybody, everybody, everybody has their own karma and everybody has their own mission. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for for explaining that. And yeah, it just made me think like so many people spend their life wondering why was I born into the family I was born into? Why was like, why me? Why these circumstances? Why this relationship pattern or, you know, fill in the blank? Um, So that's a really kind of beautiful opening in a sense for someone who like already was just dying to get out of the place that they were born to find the global community. And then the global community sent you right back home. in a sense. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so Lauren, I know, I mean, your, your own experience is actually exactly as Molly said, uh, similar, but different. So what was, uh, what was it like for you to sort of move back home then, you know, leaving school and what was the kind of big thing that you feel like you were grappling with that made you start chanting too? Um, 
I think that I was so overwhelmed with the shame that I was feeling and I knew at that point that something had to change. And so this practice felt like a really great place to start. And it might be a cliche, but I felt like I had nothing left to lose. So I just started trying and I was chanting consistently and I really did feel a huge shift. Like I felt like the I was a bird in a cage, but the cage was always open and I was still just staying planted. And this practice kind of gave me the courage to be released into the wild. Mm-hmm. And um, Molly and I were also um, placed in separate districts, so communities to practice with, which was really great because I think I got to experience my own um, independence in this practice in a way. And just the more I learned, the more I grew and Also, I was seeing tangible benefits in my life. I was actually able to go back to school um, virtually and finish my degree. So I graduated and I um, actually ran into my ex-girlfriend after chanting for a few months and she was amazed. It felt like I was a different person. And just to see these reflections um, in my life and from other people to really um, just the possibility of transformation that I never thought would be possible for me to see that unfold, um, really just kept deepening the experience for me. And I, I just felt more care for myself and a desire to care for others. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me step out of my own suffering was to care for others And I realized how selfish I was and how easy it is to get pulled into our own self-pity. And as much as it's important to have self-care, I do think that we need to be tending to the people around us as well. So Mm. my experience, um, it's really hard to sum it all up because it's so expansive, but really just I became the captain of my own ship for what felt like the first time in my entire life. And um, when you say care for, caring for others is so important, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast and we hear about it all the time in our Buddhist community. But I'm just thinking, you know, based on how you had described you were feeling when you started your practice for anyone who might be feeling like just like that, I don't know, such little will to really live the thought of caring for somebody else feels a bit crazy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, like, was there a moment where something shifted or is there an example of what you mean by that in terms of how it helped you heal? Mm. Yeah. And I think that's so important, too, because I think sometimes when we're talking about these really big concepts, it feels like every action has to be this huge gravitational pull of change, when in reality, it can be a small gesture that can ripple out to mean so much more than we realize. So doing things simply like doing the dishes for my mom or Mm. picking up my grandmother or going out to lunch with a friend that I hadn't seen in a while, all of those small things really matter. And so it doesn't have to be um, so overwhelming when we can break it down into those little moment to moment gestures. And so I think that's so important to remember. And I know when we're really in it and we're really low, everything can feel so heavy and gravity can feel so much heavier. So just taking that one small step can really make, it can shift someone else's entire day. Yeah, absolutely. I actually love those those examples because you don't really think about those things necessarily as acts of care. Um, but Buddhism is also so much about generating life force or like um just like the energy to really tackle your day and you're totally right i mean it's it's amazing sometimes when you can't do things for yourself doing things for other people gives you that energy so i i get what you mean um so i want to try something i don't know if this is gonna how this is gonna work but um just hearing everything that both of you are are saying and knowing that you know today's topic is really about acceptance and understanding in families or in our community, um, uh, you know, which can take so many forms. I want to try to kind of give everybody two 
kind of examples or two um, little stories, one from each of you. But correct me if I'm wrong, but it sort of so far sounds like Molly, your story is is very much about like a sense of purpose, finding a sense of purpose and finding like meaning in your in the place that you are. Um, and then Lauren, yours really sounds like, um, yeah, like building life force and like really being able to take action instead of staying stuck. And those are like the two things that you have to do in Buddhism. Basically, you have to, you have to, <laughs> it's almost like hearing both of you speak, I was like, wow, they're like, this should be like a case study. <laughs> but um, so, so I don't know if it'll work, but I, I want to try to ask each of you to share like one example of really how to do that because at the end of the day, I do think, you know, Buddhism really teaches that like if you are clear about what your mission is or what your purpose is, then you can always figure out what to do. And if you also are really clear about your own potential, which is unlimited, then you can always figure out what to do. Like there's no such thing as being stuck. Um, so maybe we can turn back to you, Molly, and I want to ask if you can share any experience um, that you want, like a specific experience of dealing with um just, yeah, whether it's acceptance or it's understanding or it's figuring out why you are where you are, that you really feel like I chanted about this and this has really started to, to change um, based on my Buddhist practice. So like you end up back home. How did you sort of figure out what to tackle and then how did you tackle it, if that makes sense? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, like just to put it into the, the context of like the time that was in, it was in 2018 and um, it was quite intense like for me personally in my heart but also societally and then also more more um viscerally inside of my family hmm. because we had um political differences that were that were dividing us and you know when we live in this world where everyone's trying to whittle everything down to 142 characters <laughs> and make these complex things so simple I was I was so confused and I was really like at the whim of this this media cycle of you know anytime something would come in the news I would be so beside myself and so distraught like physically angry and I would channel that at my parents and um I took it upon myself, like, I'm going to change them. Like, I'm going to change these people. That was like this thing I had cultivated. And I thought that that would really like absolve me of my sins of being white and of being privileged and all these things. Like that was, you know, the place in which I was addressing this like, you know, mission. Um, but it wasn't my true mission. And, mm -hmm. you know, my true mission revealed itself through chanting, which is like, every body has this Buddha nature, like this Buddha ability. And I'm not here to ruin every family dinner for the sake of quote unquote justice. Like that doesn't get us there. And I really love Brene Brown talking about shame is not an effective tool for social justice. Like the way I was addressing my family was so degrading and so self-righteous and um, yeah, just so uncompassionate and wasn't actually like on account like of what I, the world I was actually visioning, like what was the world I wanted to see that I was thinking I was acting on behalf of and causing so much turmoil in my family and so much pain, like really, truly like breaking my mom's heart and, um, you know, I, I feel so, I feel deeply sorrowful and I still find myself in those moments because it's so difficult in this time to connect like intergenerationally. Like we live in a, a different world than the boomers did. Like they don't have, I mean, look at what we're dealing with. We have so much inequity, so much like just it's so scary out here. The the virus being just the most recent addition to the pile of of just everything we have to deal with. So mm -hmm. as a generation and even Lauren, seven years younger than me, like I'm like, wow, even you are just like less disconnected from the, you know, quote unquote American dream than even I am. 
So I feel like when I would chant, even after I would get in one of these big blow up fights with my parents, I would just start crying because immediately when I started chanting, I would contact my own Buddha nature and I would contact, you know, this deep understanding that like, I, I'm not, you know, if everything is a fractal, like I'm not getting to where I want to go by starting from this energetic field, like of disharmony, like we're not all of a sudden going to get to world peace through me arguing with my family so I really love like we have five eternal guidelines inside of this community and the first is faith for our harmonious family Mm -hmm. and I've really really chanted and studied why why is faith for a harmonious family one of the guidelines and it's just come to make so much sense for me that like if we can't create unity in these families like the foundational building block of our society then how can we ever you know and and the depth of like really seeking from a buddhist view like it's not an accident that i'm connected to these people Mm. i'm here because of them and so you know there's so much happening behind the scenes so yeah just this level of like wow i want to let my guard down and really like seek about what it looks like to build a just society where everyone feels dignified where everyone feels like they can be their whole self. And that includes my parents. That includes myself. And so really pinning it always backwards about what have I not, how am I in shame? How am I in fear? How am I thinking I'm bad or wrong? And what can I do to actually like, you know, talk about changing karma, like change the karma of our society? Well, we just have to really begin like one-to-one and really like from a humanistic perspective and buddhism is so rooted in dialogue which is not about changing someone's mind it's gradual and it's internally motivated and so how can i be in relationship with my parents from this this way where they cultivate and i cultivate together this desire to just transform our own lives and like really look inward is that kind of the reason that you didn't want to go home originally when you were like, I, I, you know, was this sort of dynamic or these sort of political social differences um, kind of part of that reason? And like, that's essentially what you had to tackle when, when you went home or just wondering? For sure. For sure. And then the, the thing that was like there was this skewed idea that, oh, my mission is to change them. Mm, I and see. I was like sober self-righteous. And now I've come to my mission is to just be in relationship with life itself and I to see. become happy yeah and to create to create environments of transformation that are authentic and to be a part of that and to just i'm not in control of other people i can't change other people mm-hmm. i can only change myself that's so so real i think um yeah whatever the circumstances might be but to sort of feel like my belief system is not the same as the place that I come from. And so I'm not going to go back. And then to end up back there and be like, okay, so I guess I'm here to correct everyone else's beliefs. <laughs> and then that quickly doesn't work. I mean, that's like a pretty tremendous realization to have um, and not an easy thing to transform. So I'm just wondering if, was there a moment where you were like, this is not working. And so I think I need to like really dig into Buddhism um, to then kind of do the kind of internal work that you just described it was it, I mean because it kind of sounds like you knew that's what you had to do but there must have been a moment of like I need to change course or something like that and I'm wondering what that was yeah I'll definitely let Lauren share too because it's a lot of her you know her story but when Lauren came out and it was such a it was a shock I think to my family and the way that that like You know, it's one thing to say like, wow, your political belief system are impacting, you know, quote unquote people out there. But then when it was like really so deeply turned inward to like, no, this is actually like real in real Mm -hmm. time. Like, um, I think that that was like a time where it could have either been we're going to split forever. Like this family is going to completely disintegrate um, or something's got to give. And I think that that's when, you know, Lauren and I really like united together to seek 
Buddhism and to seek a Buddhist perspective on like, what, where do we go from here? And for me, like, you know, this is my baby sister. Like I got to protect her. (laughs) I was like, so, you know, mama bear, like wanting Mm -hmm. to protect her and protect her beautiful love. Um, I see. So yeah, that was definitely a, a turning point. Understood. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, I want to turn to you now, Lauren, because um, and Molly's already touching on it a little bit. But going back to the earlier question, you know, like what was sort of a big thing that you had to tackle in terms of um, I'm just thinking of the kind of caged bird with the door open, um, you know, that you were like, OK, I'm going to use Buddhism to really tackle this. And I'm imagining it It had to do with, you know, coming out and being accepted by your family. So if you don't mind sharing mm-hmm. a bit of that story and how you decided to to tackle it. Yeah. So I think in my family, we have kind of this longstanding narrative that gratitude is expressed um, through putting others before yourself. And along the way for me, this kind of got convoluted and I got, it got to an extreme point of me not being myself. And I thought I could make other people happy if I just didn't challenge them or cause them any discomfort. And so I think the root of all this was, you know, my low self-esteem and just wanting to play small because that felt easier. And unfortunately, I caught a chronic case of people pleasing. And I was just getting validation by making sure that no one was mad at me and that my existence was okay. And so when I came out of the closet and told my parents that I had a girlfriend, um, that was a huge kind of rock bottom in terms of, you know, my desire to please others. And I really saw the extreme lengths that I would go to, um, to put others before myself. And I really couldn't imagine going on living um, with people being disappointed of me, especially my parents. And so I think I really had to challenge, you know, what if they never accept me? Will, how can I learn to accept me? And so that um, through chanting, I really became, began to realize, um, how deeply I was seeking my worth outside of myself. And even if I lived in perfect accordance with other people's expectations, I would still not be happy because that's not me living sincerely to me. Um, So along with that, I think I realized, you know, there is no canceling my family. I can't just hide from this. How can I address this reality? And the way that I decided to do that was to make my own happiness my mission and to really work on accepting myself. And even though I felt like a disappointment at the time, like looking back, I am so proud of myself for coming out and having a girlfriend who is now my fiance and just being authentic to me. And I think, um, you know, sharing my story, you can tell kind of that in the past, my tendency was to run from pain and to numb the pain. Um, But through chanting, I actually gained the courage to move through the pain. And sometimes that was really lonely. Sometimes I didn't have the other person who hurt me wanting to transform that as well. Um, But really just determining within myself that my mission is to enjoy my existence and to be proud of who I am. And so I think that once I was able to do that, I did still struggle with mental health challenges, but I think that was this huge boulder off my chest in terms of what I was really, you know, what was the root of that suffering? Mm, I see. Understood. Um, And just so I have the timeline correct, so you first came out before you went to college, right? It was, yeah, it was um, in college. Okay. But it was prior to this whole episode of you both coming home. And I imagine it played some sort of a role in how you both felt about coming home. Yes, definitely. Okay, got it. (laughs) I see. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like getting more powerful as I as I see the whole big picture. So like you had come out and you're kind of struggling with um, accepting yourself and already not feeling accepted by your family. And then Molly, you're feeling 
upset with your family for not accepting your sister, but then all these other political differences, and then you both end up back home. So that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's, yeah, I mean, that's like a perfect kind of, here's your challenge. Do you accept? (laughs) Um, And I understand, you know, in those circumstances, yeah, turning to Buddhism just must have been uh, um, like amazing opportunity um, to deal with it. So, uh, so then just to follow up for you, Lauren, um, you know, I'm wondering, so if, you know, chanting was a way for you to really decide that you're going to value your own life and really take great care of yourself, how, what changed in your family or like, you know, as much as you're comfortable sharing, of course, in terms of specifics, like how did you start to see that actually manifest in your environment? Yeah. Um, I think that I, just by being unabashedly myself and being in this relationship, um, And once I started chanting, I was able to completely own my relationship. And I think that my parents might have been confused about how excited I was, but they eventually just surrendered to it. And they invited my partner over for dinner. And the more they got to know her, and she also chants, um, I think it was just undeniable that we were so happy and so meant for each other. And so I think just that we didn't give up on my parents and it would have been so easy to, you know, just say, you don't deserve to be in my life. But instead I said, I want you to be in my life and I want you to share this beauty with me because it's so awesome and love of any form is so beautiful. And so, you know, as time went on, they've just built a relationship with my partner and I think it was so beautiful for them to see what they were confused by or what they what was foreign to them or uncomfortable for them for them to get to see that um, and actually go where it is uncomfortable that's where the growth happened and so i think that was the actual proof that i needed to stop staying small stop trying to make people feel comfortable and appease other people but really what happens when i show up with the dignity of my own life and so From there, you know, now my mom is helping us plan our wedding and we're just, it's just completely transformed. I think we really have worked so hard to create unity and it wasn't easy. I just want to emphasize that it really wasn't easy, but I think that it is so, so worth it. And I know that that might not be um, a one size fits all answer. Every family is so different. But for me, it did. I did feel this calling to kind of um, move through this together. Mm, that's really beautiful and very courageous too, because you you had the option not to. Right, many people do run away from that kind of a, a challenge. Um, if I can just ask, like, I I mean, please don't feel like you have to answer. So if you prefer to skip, it's okay. But like, when you did come out, I mean, what was what was the conversation, or what was the actual? What did the rejection look like? Mm. Yeah, I think that this was also a time before I was chanting. And so I wasn't entirely um, in tune with how to present this information in the best way. And I, I think I was so filled with fear that that was just the that was what was coming at my parents was my own fear of judgment. And it was almost a self fulfilling prophecy where I, I just expected that they wouldn't accept this. And the second that they didn't, I just turned to rage and anger and self-pity. And so I think we kind of fed off of each other's um, fear and it just became really toxic. So I think um, there were times where we just, we took a break from communicating and that was kind of what led into my depression of just feeling this overwhelming um, sense of disappointment. And all I wanted was that unconditional acceptance. And I think not getting that was really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it was heartbreaking for my parents too, in, in a different way. Mm, I understand. And then, and then once you really did start this journey of chanting and you had kind of moved back home and you're living with them, what did the transformation look like practically? Like, was it a big conversation that happened? Was it small things over time? Um, I'm just thinking for someone who's in the thick of it right now, 
that really just wants wants like to understand you know action wise what it entailed um, in addition to chanting what was that for you yeah I think um, the best way I can describe it is actually through a Buddhist term um, it's Honen Myo and what Honen Myo represents is basically from this moment forward um, and starting from now and I think that my family really had to embody Honen Myo in order to forgive each other. And I think that we could have um, we could have remained stuck in that place of resentment and trauma, really, for forever, mm-hmm. if we wanted to. But I think that I made the determination that I don't want to spend any more time harboring resentment for the past. I want to focus on what I can change now and the the beautiful future and connection that I can create with my family. And so even though we had these long-standing narratives in our family, I was determined to kind of change them and break them and say, okay, my mom is capable of growing and learning. I'm capable of growing and learning. Everyone is. And so through that, through Hone and Mio, I think I was really, um, even if we had an argument or a disagreement, I was able to start anew at every moment. And that felt really comforting. And so I don't want to paint the picture that I started chanting and then everything was romanticized and perfect. You know, we we did struggle, but I think that we were able to understand that our intention was love. And so, um, yeah, I think there were really difficult dialogues that had to happen. And I was just able to see that they were just coming from a place of fear. And once I was able to understand that and not take it so personally, um, I was just filled with compassion for them that Mm -hmm. I feel so honored that I live in a world where I have representation of queerness and I have representation of all of these things that doesn't make me feel so alone for who I am. And I think that I just want to share that with them. Um, And so ultimately, it just came back to gratitude that they made me, they raised me. And without them, I wouldn't have the courage to really um, step into myself. Yeah, that's really beautiful and really encouraging. Um, And I feel like it's such a perfect example, actually, of the Buddhist humanism that you were describing, Molly, like that kind of... um, just always being willing to be open to somebody else's bootability, even if they really, you don't, you don't see things the same way or you don't have the, um, the same life experiences. I just wanted to, so Molly, like as a person that already I'm imagining sort of had, um, for lack of a better word, this like, uh, kind of like ongoing struggle or narrative, of kind of the dynamic with your family. And then on top of this, to see your sister go through this entire experience, once you moved home and you had really started chanting, like how did you see your role in your sister's story? What, like what became sort of your own kind of determination in terms of, of chanting at, at that time that, that Lauren was challenging what she just described? I didn't know for a long time, like what we, what was, it's so easy to like want to take something like a, a Buddhist concept and then water it down and make it for everyone. Like every, like I wanted to think that family harmony meant we are all so close and every Tuesday night we watch TV shows and, you know, I wanted to make it something that it's not. And um, I think that Lauren really, I mean, so profound, Lauren, thank you so much. I'm just blown away by you. Um, and this, really family harmony comes from everybody being themselves. And so Mm. like, I think similarly to Lauren, like my process of practicing Buddhism is like, how can I just become more deeply me? Like, how can I let the fruit that is Molly like fully ripen? And that has helped me really think about how we relate to each other. And like, you know, there's dynamics like unity can be formed for towards something positive, but it can also be formed towards something negative where it's like, well, Lauren and I are now going to unite against our parents Mm -hmm. and we're going to unite in this net. You know, that's what like gossip and these other tendencies can be versus like the enlightened state of unity, which is like 
for all people to unite, for all of us to come together. Um, so that's really like what I kept coming back to is like, we're going to get through this. Like we, like I'm in your corner and mm -hmm. together we can do this. And I think, you know, you asked a question like, what did you do besides for chant? And I think like, it's really important, like to understand it's hard to explain why chanting these words can bring about such a profound transformation. I don't understand the physics of Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. <laughs> I, it, it is missed. It's the mystic law for a reason, but that taking that action first of prayer before take taking action in conversations or going over, like we would chant for like, after we both moved out of our parents' homes and we were living in different environments, like we would always chant before a family dinner. Mm. We would always chant that we would bring our enlightened selves to those places. So I think um, just really want to emphasize like that the process of chanting is in of itself an incredible act. And it's, it is mystical by nature that it can transform an environment because we are transforming, because we are moving out of these work, like these states of life where we're really like at the whim, you know, like I think about becoming the flagpole, not the flag, like just flopping around in the wind. But I'm just like, no, I'm really becoming a solid person. Mm -hmm. I'm really becoming like truly like who, who am I? And like, what am I in allegiance to? And like asking the same questions of my sister and like, the more and more we like practice together and like really, you know, unite, we see that happening. And it's so cool to have like an, you know, undercover peace agent in your family with you. It's like <laughs> at the dinner table, <laughs> you know, okay, we're going to do this thing. Like we're like agents going in every time to try to be our best selves, you know, in these environments where it's just so not easy to do so. And it's like, that's how we strengthen ourselves. Mm. How yeah. do I get strong if I never face resistance? Yeah, absolutely. And I love what I love most about both of your story is that being more of yourself looks so different for both of you, but it's the same intention, right? Because in chanting, we are chanting also just to reveal our truest self and our greatest potential, mm -hmm. which does not look the same for everybody. And it's rare to get to hear a story of two people in the same family having two very different journeys, but kind of suffering because of the same root cause. Um, so I, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, so I'm going to start wrapping up, but, um, I always close with a question about advice, but actually right before I do that, if it's okay, I'm, I'm curious, just like kind of first thing off the top of your head that each of you would say about the other person. So maybe I will start with, um, I'm going to start with you, Lauren, if you had to say what you have observed change in Molly over the course of her practice in like a sentence, what would it be? I really keep coming back to compassion and Molly is someone who just has boundless capacity to hold space for others and hold so, so much care for everyone in her community, everyone in her environment. And she is so intentional about the causes that she puts out um, to create a better future for herself, for her family and for society at large. And just like how I felt when I was six years old, I still feel the same way that she's totally my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. And um, Molly, what would you say about Lauren? Like, what do you feel you have sort of seen change in her or grow over time because she started practicing? So much. I mean, it's like the this potential that I always knew was there was like is now a lot like it's accessible and it's like being utilized and it's free and like, even if I see Lauren, like, hit a little wall, like, she'll go back to the drawing board and, like, I see her breaking through. Like, whereas before she would be so defeated. Like, defeat was, like, just mainstay, like, home base. And maybe she'd, like, venture out a little bit, but then, like, get a little afraid and go <laughs> home, you know, back to the shell. 
but I see her like blooming and I see her gaining confidence in that bloom, like, and being received. Like Lauren is like, everyone loves how sincere she is because she just comes in her truest self because she's had to go through so much to bring that true self forward. So it's like, when people meet it, it's like a, it's like a comforting blanket. Like, oh, this feels so nice to receive somebody that's so authentic. So mm. I just see mm. Lauren like letting herself be alive, like letting herself be a person and take up space. Mm. You guys Thank have an you. all-star family. You're, I mean, for everything you're sharing, <laughs> I hope your, your parents know how amazing um, you know, you are and, and, you know, they are, of course, responsible for that um, in the most fundamental way possible. <laughs> so um, so I guess just to wrap up, you know, I always close with this question of advice. Um, so I'll ask each of you to, to answer it. And I'll start with you, Lauren. Um, if you had to give one piece of advice to anyone who's listening who might be new to Buddhism, um, new to chanting, and they are currently struggling to really address, you know, differences within their family or feeling accepted within their family, whatever it looks like for them, what one piece of advice would you give them? I would say that without struggles, life would be incredibly boring. And conflict doesn't always have to be a bad thing. I think that these breakthroughs that we're discussing with my family, really that all stemmed from having the courage to address this collective pain. And like I said, sometimes you'll be on this journey alone and you'll be the one breaking through, but your healing will impact the entire unit of your family. And just like Molly didn't give up on me when I was deeply, deeply suffering, that gave me the understanding of how to give unconditional love to my parents, even when they say something controversial at the dinner table. So just remember, you know, our happiness is directly linked to our parents' happiness. Even the smallest progress in your life has the power to profoundly shift your environment and just don't give up, you know? We're, we have everything that we need to break through. So let's just keep going. Amazing. I'm so encouraged already. Um, and Molly, what would you say if you had to give, same question, one piece of advice to anyone who might be kind of struggling with these types of things right now? To the best of your ability, seek to find meaning in what we're going through. One of my favorite Buddhist concepts is about repaying debts of gratitude. And it really speaks on, we have so much that is working behind the scenes for our life. Like trees are bringing us air, you know, just so much is working behind the scenes for us to have life. And the first two debts of gratitude, the first is the debt that's owed to all living beings because we're all interconnected and nothing would be here if everything didn't happen, you know, as it did, like mm -hmm. without having a, a moralistic agenda attached to it, really, like, if I can just value my own life, like life is so precious. And from there, I am so grateful. And not in some like watered down, like all good, all like, you know, good vibes only, but true, true, deep gratitude. And then the second debt of gratitude is that to owe to one's father and mother. So it's like, how can I find muster up enough courage to find gratitude, to seek a little deeper? Why are these my parents? Why am I connected? Why out of all the 9 billion people's lives I could have, like, why is this my circumstance? And like, how can I connect my suffering to support another person's suffering? Just like Lauren and I are doing, like sharing our story to encourage one other person, like you can do it we can do this. We can build a different world, like starting with the most foundational building block, our families, the place that is the most difficult, the place that has accumulated the most karma, mm -hmm. like <laughs> our, our plate, our home base, like our family, and we can do it. And if we can do that, we really can do anything. Like we can really change this world. My biggest takeaway from today's episode is that no matter what our environment might be making us feel, our bootability is stronger. 
As Molly explained, chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo allows us to unlock the unlimited power, wisdom, and compassion in our own lives to wisely transform even the most difficult relationships and environments. And as Lauren's story demonstrates, it always begins with believing in and treasuring our own life first. If we can deeply respect and be ourselves, we can deeply respect others. For more content on relationships, check out bootability.org. And as always, if you want to get connected to your local Buddhist community, just email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. If you're enjoying the show, please also consider leaving us a rating or review on whichever podcast app you use, as this helps the show get discovered. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.